أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم أفمن يعلم أنما أنزل إليك من ربك الحق كمن هو أعمى إنما يتذكر أولو الألباب الذين يوفون بعهد الله ولا ينقضون الميثاق والذين يصلون ما أمر الله به أن يوصل ويخشون ربهم ويخشون ربهم ويخافون سوء الحساب والذين صبروا ابتغاء وجه ربهم وأقاموا الصلاة وأنفقوا مما رزقناهم سرا وعلانية ويدرؤون بالحسنة السيئة أولئك لهم عقب الدار جنات عدن يدخلونها ومن صلح من آبائهم وأزواجهم وذرياتهم والملائكة يدخلون عليهم من كل باب سلام عليكم بما صبرتم فنعم عقب الدار أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا أيها النبي لم تحرم ما أحل الله لك تبتغي مرضات أزواجك والله غفور رحيم قد فرض الله لكم تحلة أيمانكم والله مولاكم وهو العليم الحكيم صدق الله العظيم جزاكم الله خيرا السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم يا أيها النبي لما تحرم ما أحل الله لك I'd like to start by saying that it's a, an amazing honor and an opportunity to have a program like this come together. And my hope is, inshallah ta'ala, this kind of a program will grow further and further and more and more services to the Qur'an can be made. Today I'm going to be talking to you about family challenges in the Qur'an. And there's lots of things that we can say about family issues in the Qur'an. In fact, one of the biggest subjects in the Qur'an 
is family law and family principles and family issues and family examples. It takes up a lot of space in the Quran. As opposed to other issues that take much lesser space, this actually takes much more space. But I don't want to overburden you with too many things. I want to give you one or two things that you can remember, you can really think about, you can really benefit from. So my plan today, inshallah, is to talk to you on two subjects. And I'm going to talk to you about one subject for about 30 minutes, and we're going to listen to another recitation from our Shaykh about some other ayat. We'll talk about those ayat for about 20, 25 minutes, inshallah. So the first part that I want to talk to you about has to do with Surat At-Tahreem. That's Surah number 66. And it's only going to be about the first two ayat of this Surah. Just ayah number one and ayah number two, and that's it. But in order to understand what I want to share with you, a little bit of background is necessary. Allah told me and you that He created Whatever He created on this earth, He made for you altogether. The entire world and everything in it was designed for the benefit and for the usage of human beings. That's what Allah says. Then He adds some conditions and He says, he, he made good and pure things permissible for you. And he made filthy things impermissible, haram for you. So what is haram is actually by definition dirty. It's filthy, it's khaba'ith. So Allah didn't just randomly make something haram. Whenever Allah declares something is haram, it is actually something that will make me sick. It's something that will bring impurity into my life. It is something that is dirty for me, literally. It's khaba'ith. So haram is not just some rules. It's actually rules that if I don't, if I go towards them, if I go towards haram things, my life will no longer be clean. My life will no longer be pure. That's the principle of haram that Allah teaches us in the Quran. Now, there are two almost opposite things we just learned. One place Allah said, everything was made for you. And then he said, well, some things are khaba'ith, some things are filthy, and those things are haram for you. You know what this, when you combine these two principles, you get something that scholars of Islam have been saying from the very beginning. And that is, you know how in the tech world, there's something called the default, right? The default setting or the automated setting. Well, the automated setting for everything in the world is that it is halal. And only a few things that Allah declares these are filthy, those things are haram. So I don't have to worry about every single thing and say, is this haram? Is this haram? Is this haram? Is this haram? Because the automatic assumption is everything in the world is what? Halal. It was made for you. But then a few things are made haram. And Allah Himself says, Let me tell you what He made haram for you. Allah didn't say, let me tell you what is halal for you. He said, let me tell you what is haram for you. Which means the list of haram is very limited. And the list of halal is very, very big. You with me so far? This is the first thing we have to understand before we get, let me see if you remember, what surah was I going to talk to you about? At-Tahreem, good, 66. And what ayat was I going to talk to you about? One and two. The name of the surah is Tahreem. At-Tahreem, to make something haram. The name of the surah is to make something haram. So because we're talking about halal and haram here, 
I wanted you to first understand the principle before we get into something we're going to learn from this surah. So, so far, everything in life is automatically assumed to be what? Halal. Until you can prove that it's haram. And the only way you can prove that it's haram, Allah said it. The Prophet said it. The Prophet declared something haram. Otherwise, you cannot just go around making things haram. Fine. Now, we're going to change the subject. We're going to, you know, my lectures a lot of times seem like broken Lego pieces. There's lots of different things. And at the end, I try to put them all together, right? So that's what it's going to feel like. So the first thing was halal haram. Fine. The second thing I need you to think about is when in different cultures, people are comfortable and, un and uncomfortable with different things. So different cultures have different norms and practices and habits, right? And you have to, when you're living in a different society, you might find their practices and their habits are very different. So for example, in the US, when you go shopping in the US, very normal experience, the cashier just, you know, that'll be 475, you charge the card, okay, have a good day, bye, done, you're gone. I went to Japan for the first time, and uh, when I bought something, the lady handed me the receipt like this. And she said, Arigato. You know? So, and I, I didn't understand why there's a whole ceremony in handing me a receipt. I just bought a Snickers. <laughs> but the culture is different. They have a sort of common respect between each other and they have certain practices. And, you know, you have to learn to adapt to those practices. Fine. But culture doesn't just affect the cashier at the grocery store. Culture affects what we like, what we don't like. Culture affects the way that the wedding ceremony happens. Culture affects birthdays. Culture affects graduations. Culture affects your relationship with your parents. Parents have a very different relationship with, each, you know, with children in Pakistan and in Bangladesh as opposed to Australia and the US, in the US, you can have somebody talk to their dad. Their dad's name is Frank, and the son says, hey Frank, how was your day? Excuse me? We don't do that as Muslims. He's like, Abba, Baba, Papa, what, some name, but you don't just say Frank, or hey Abdul Karim, what's up? Wanna go to Jum'ah together? You don't do that with your dad, right? It's considered high disrespect. So cultures, then affect the way we are with our family. They have an impact. The way your family is and the way what's normal for them may be very different for what's normal for somebody living in a different country, in a different culture, in a different environment, right? So cultures have their own, in a sense, halal and haram. That's the point that I'm getting at. So the religion has its own, this is okay, this is not okay. And only a few things are not allowed. But the culture has a bigger list of, of haram things. So the list of haram in the culture is sometimes much bigger, and the list of haram in our religion is much smaller. Now why did Allah give us this one religion, one revelation that is supposed to be for every culture? It came to the Arabs. It came in Arabia but it's meant for all of humanity. But all of humanity has many different cultures, has many different practices. The idea is very powerful. The idea is in different cultures, there are many good things. Food, clothing, you know, history, architecture, art. 
There are many amazing things about each culture that's different. But there are some things in every culture where people make some things haram. They don't call it haram, they just say, we don't do that. That's not how we do it here. They make up some rules in their culture, everybody gets used to it. Islam came and said, if you, if you add to the list of the things that Allah made haram, you will make problems for yourself. So Islam did not come to get rid of culture. Islam did not come to say everybody should dress the same way. Everybody should speak the same language. Everybody should eat the same kind of food. Everybody should have the same kind of art. No, Islam did not destroy culture. In fact, Islam even celebrates culture. Allah even says that our different languages and cultures are part of his ayat. But Islam came to purify every culture. And how does it purify every culture? One of the ways it purifies a culture is that it gets rid of the, the things that the culture said are haram and Allah said it's okay. So Allah actually gave new freedom to every culture and removed some things. Allah describes this in a way, talking about the Israelites. He says, He came to remove their chains and their collars that were on them. So one of the things, we think Islam is a bunch of rules, but actually Islam is also a number of freedoms. It's a number of things in which we, are, we have been separated and liberated from the chains of our culture. Okay, I'll give you an example. In some uh, Muslim countries and non-Muslim countries, if a family has three or four daughters, then the rule is the oldest daughter has to get married first. Okay? And if the youngest daughter got a proposal, then the parents say, listen, there's three more people in the waiting list. Hold on. It's not halal for you yet. They're not going to say the word halal and haram because that's Islamic words. They're going to use the culture words. Nobody does that. It looks bad. What's your family going to say? What are your uncles going to say? How's your sister going to feel? It's wrong then people are going to say there must be something wrong with the older three. That's why only the youngest one got married. All these things you have to hear to justify that it's not okay for this young lady to get married because the other three older sisters are not married yet. You understand? So you know what that is? The culture made something haram that Allah made halal. And now this young woman who wanted to get married, who had a decent proposal, she was given a right by Allah because whenever something is halal, no one has the right to make it haram except Allah. But she, she had a right from Allah and her culture took that right away. Her family took that right away. You're understanding this principle now? Now, this, sometimes this happens because of a culture, but a culture is not just something in a country. Your family could have its own culture. Your relationships could have their own culture. And sometimes in a relationship, for example, in a married relationship, how many people married here? Inna lillahi wa inna Some men are afraid to raise their hand. It's okay, I understand your fears. I appreciate it. Allah help you. Okay. Just say, inni Allah rabbal alameen. I only fear Allah and you know. Look around before you say it though. Okay. Anyway, sometimes in a relationship, the husband starts becoming very controlling or the wife starts becoming very controlling. Sometimes a father or a mother becomes very controlling. 
Sometimes children become very controlling. Sometimes siblings become very controlling. Control is a common problem. And you know when you control someone, you try to stop them from doing something, then you're making something haram for them that Allah has already made halal. Now let's come to the Qur'an. The, the, my subject was family challenges and our first challenge is going to be this. Understanding family challenges in, shade, in the shade of understanding the concept of halal and haram. Now, the Prophet of Allah وسلم, he loved his wives and he used to spend equal time with his wives. And one of his wives decided to keep him a little bit longer by getting some honey that she knew he really liked. And he would taste that honey and he would sit there and he wouldn't even know that extra time is passing by. And now he's just sitting there spending a little too much time, five extra minutes, 10 extra minutes, 15 extra minutes. When he gets to the second wife to spend some time with her, she noticed that she's getting a little less time and she doesn't want to come out and say, hey, what's going on here? Uh, you're, you're late. So she finds another, you know, on, on social media nowadays they say, tell me I don't want you to spend more time with her without telling me I don't want you to spend more time with her. So our mother, the mother of the believers, tells the Prophet there's a strange smell coming from your mouth. There's a strange smell. What, what smell was she talking about? The honey. Now the Prophet is very sensitive and he cares about the feelings of his wife. And he says, I will never eat that again. I will never have that honey because he loves his wife so much. Now this is something very normal. If, you're, if your wife says, hey, I don't want you to go there. You say, okay, I promise I will never go there again. You're always watching football. Okay, I'll never watch any football ever again. I promise, I love you so much. And then you say in parentheses in front of you. <laughs> but he's, somebody says to you, I feel bad that you're doing something. I feel bad. And you say to yourself, you know what? In order to make you feel better, I'm going to change. I'm going to make something haram on myself. Right? Because it'll make you feel better. So you give somebody a part of your rights. And you say, even though Allah is okay with it, even though Allah is okay with it, Allah is not, there's no sin in eating that honey, but you don't like it, so for you, I'm gonna make a change. Fine. The opening ayah of this surah. Allah reveals an ayah to the Prophet How many ayat did I say I'm gonna talk to you about? Remember something now, something new now. The first ayah is for the Prophet. And then the second ayah is, now that I've told your Prophet, now I'm gonna tell you. The first ayah is for the Prophet The second ayah is for you and me. That's what happens. So the lesson began with Rasulullah and then went to us. Now watch. Ya ayyuhan nabi, lima tuharrimu ma ahallallahu lak. Tabtaghi mardata azwajik. Prophet, why are you making haram something Allah made halal for you? In order to please or in order to pursue making your spouses happy? Wallahu ghafoorur rahim and Allah is forgiving. Allah is rahim. When Allah mentions Allah is forgiving, Allah says that if you're doing something wrong. Yeah? Don't do this. And the Prophet, when he says, why are you doing this? And then he answers himself, are you doing this because you want to make who happy? Your spouse is happy? You want to make them happy? That's why you're doing it? Well, Allah put a stop to that and said, you can't do that anymore. 
and Allah has forgiven what happened, Wallahu ghafoor rahim, but this, this cannot happen again. But if he doesn't eat a little bit of honey, it's not like the mission of Islam is going to fail. It's not like Badr is in trouble or Uhud is in trouble. It's not the end of the world. It's just a little bit of sacrifice for one of his spouses. Why is a whole ayah of the Quran coming down on this tiny little issue? And it's not even ayah number 10 or ayah number 12. It's ayah number what? Ayah number one. And later on in the surah, way towards the end, he says, Ya ayyuhan nabi jahid al-kuffara wal-munafiqeena waghlul alayhim. Prophet, struggle against the kuffar, struggle against the munafiqeen, be harsh with them. The Prophet was the governor of Medina sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He has to deal with people trying to destroy the government from the inside. He's dealing with the enemies from the outside. He's the head of state. He's the general of the military. These are big issues. Big issues later. Right now, don't make honey haram for you. That's issue number one. Isn't that strange? You would think the issue that has to do with national security, the issue that has to do with war, the issue that has to do with government stability, that should be issue number one. And this small little drama situation between a husband and a wife, that can be a later issue, if at all an issue. Why is this number one? And by the way, the surah was not named after the big issue. The surah was named after this, because to Allah, this is a very, very, very big issue. Why is this such a big issue? Quran is guidance for all of us until Judgment Day. Why did Allah take such a small episode between a husband and a wife, and He turned it into the opening of a surah of the Quran until Judgment Day? Because Allah is teaching us a timeless principle of relationships and family, pro family problems. Sometimes my father might want to make something haram for me that Allah made halal. And he won't say I'm making it haram, he's just gonna say, if you do this, I'll be very disappointed. Right? Allah has no problem with it. The law has no problem with it. Only my dad has a problem with it. Sometimes my wife could say that. Sometimes your husband could say that. Sometimes your siblings could say that. Sometimes your culture could say that. Nothing is wrong with it as far as Allah is concerned. If you did it and you came before Allah on Judgment Day, Allah would have no problem with you. But who has, somebody in your family has a problem with it. And because of their feelings, you deprive yourself from doing something that Allah actually was okay with. By the way, depriving yourself is actually called hirman from the same word tahrim, de depriving yourself. So I decided to deprive myself. For example, if, and my wife isn't like this, but if she was, she said, I don't like it when you play basketball. If you love me, you won't play basketball. And I said, okay, because I love you so much, I won't play basketball anymore. Now a part of my soul has just died because Allah didn't make it haram. But she made it haram. And even though I'm saying I'm doing this out of love for her, you know what's happening slowly? I'm starting to build a negative feeling towards her. Why cannot she let me do something that makes me happy? Why does she want to have this control over me? What is bothering her so much? Why, why is this such a, such a problem for her? Maybe she doesn't love me for who I am. Maybe she only loves me for who she wants me to turn into. She doesn't want me as a person. She wants to mold me into some other version that she likes. So this is not about loving me. This is about loving what she wants for me to be.
You understand? So in the Instagram language, you need someone who loves you for who you are. <laughs> Quran already said that much better. Much, much better. The idea is I cannot, I cannot sustain a relationship if I keep slicing away parts of myself that Allah did not make haram only to make someone else happy. And by the way, when you do that, many people do that. Millions of people in the world do that. They do that for their husband or their wife. They do that for their parents. They, they, they were choosing a career. Their mother said, don't do that career. I don't want you to do that career. Do this career instead. Mom, I hate that career. If you love me, you'll do it. You want your mother to be happy with you or not? You want to go to Jannah or no? Because if your mother's not ha happy with you, how are you going to go to Jannah? And you're like, oh, doesn't Islam say your mother has the right? Yes. It doesn't say Jannah is right here. You want this or no? <laughs> and you're like, oh, fine. I'll give up my dreams, my aspirations, my business plans, my career, my, the person I wanted to marry, whoever. I'll give all of that up because my mom will not let me go to Jannah. Because when judgment day happens, my mother will stand there. Ya Allah, I know before the proceedings begin, I need to make sure. Is that how judgment day works, you think? When, uh, the day on which everybody's running away from everybody else, your mom's gonna stop and say, hold on, ya Allah, hold on a second. I got an issue. She chose accounting. <laughs> and I wanted her to choose medicine. Now we can begin the rest of Judgment Day. <laughs> We've created this religious, emotional, hijacking type situation. And people think this is from Islam. You know what is from Islam? Nobody has a right to make something haram that Allah has made halal. And that's one of the gifts of Islam. That's one of its gifts. People in, the, people in the mental health space, people that are studying psychology, people that are studying marital relationships and parental psychology and teen psychology, these experts are not talking about this concept. They call it boundaries. You have to set proper boundaries for yourself. You have to assert your rights. You cannot let somebody walk all over your rights. You cannot give somebody else domination and control over you, etc., etc. Allah already said it in one ayah. And then he turned, the second ayah was about you, right? He turned to you and me and he said, Allah is now making it mandatory for you. Now he turns to you and me. Allah has made it mandatory. He has made it mandatory for you. What did He make mandatory for you? To undo any promises you made. I am making it mandatory for you to break any promises you made that you'd made something haram for yourself that Allah made halal, mandatory. Do it. <laughs> Allah, manned, Allah commanded us to be free. <laughs> he commanded us to be liberated. Can you imagine? This is one of the most fundamental principles of the Qur'an and is one of the most forgotten realities in Muslim cultures around the world. People are miserable. People are... I hear this all the time. I can't believe how much I hear this. How many people are making choices in their life, not because they want to, but because someone else is forcing that choice on them, and their own choice is being made haram on them, even though Allah never made it haram on them. 
This kind of a control culture is actually oppression, it's zulm. And one of the things that Islam came to do is to free us from the slavery of people and bring us into the slavery of Allah. Because when you're in the slavery of Allah, you're truly free from people. People have rights, my parents have rights. My spouse has rights, my kids have rights. But they don't have a right to trample over my rights. So long as you're not doing wrong to anyone else, you're not doing anything wrong. If your mom or your dad or your brother, whoever said to you, if you ever talk to your cousin again, I will not make dua for you anymore. Then you're like, uh, well, you know what? Let's try it anyway. I know there's a saying, at least in Indonesia, there's a saying, it's, it's, it's better to say sorry than to say please. So just do it, then say sorry later. Hey, I called, did you, are you gonna stop making dua? Uh, yeah, why did you call? I'm not gonna make dua for you. Well, that kind of dua hijacking doesn't exactly work, does it? Because it's not like Allah Azza wa lets an oppressor and gives an oppressor a guaranteed answer to their duas. It's not how it works. So this is the first Quran principle that I really want you to study, understand, and contemplate. And that comes from the two ayat of Surah At-Tahrim. To really understand when Allah has made something halal, no one has the right to make it haram. Not even our families. I can't make that for my children. They cannot make that for me. Not my parents, not for me. Spouses with each other. Now we're going to listen to some ayat of Surah Al-Ahzab and I'll talk to you about the second bit. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم يا أيها الذين آمنوا لا تكونوا كالذين آذوا موسى فبرأه الله فبرأه الله من قالوا وكان عند الله وجيها يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم أعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما صدق الله العظيم going to listen to some ayat from Surah Al-Ahzab now. Surah Al-Ahzab is surah number 33. This surah is also uniquely talking about a family situation in the life of the Prophet Sallallahu um, And this personal life of the Prophet والسلام, was turned into a scandal by the hypocrites and they tried to make a problem in the Prophet's family life and a lot of that is discussed in Surah Al-Ahzab. But by the end of Surah Al-Ahzab, Allah gave the Muslims a warning. And He said, as our Shaykh beautifully recited, Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu, la takunu kal ladheena Musa. 
Don't become like those of you who have iman. Don't become like people who caused hurt to Musa. They hurt Musa alayhi Meaning, what you're the kinds of things you're saying about your prophet are hurting him. The way that the Israelites used to say things that used to hurt Musa alayhi salam. And Allah declared him innocent from all the things they used to say about him. And he was honored and someone to be able to face Allah, meaning had great honor with Allah. This is Musa But now the principle, at the end of it all, the, the real principle that I want to talk to you about. The first principle was about boundaries of halal and haram, and whether or not culture clashes with it. The second principle is about communication. Because if you heard what I said in the first part of this discussion, you might say, that's it, today's the day. I'm going to go back and tell mom, Mom, what you're saying is not haram in Islam. So I have a right. And you sound like that. So, so when you decide to do that, you know what's going to happen next. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi Right? Oh yeah? Oh yeah? This is your Islam? This is what you learn? How to disrespect your family? Is that what Islam teaches you? Show me that. Oh my God, you're going to hear some. Whew. Because they, they have years of practice. And you suck at this. So when you try to speak up, you're going to get destroyed. You're going to get ruined. You've tried before. That's why you email me. How do I talk to my parents? Because, you know, how do I talk to some? Because you don't know how to speak up for yourself. And the moment you try to speak up for yourself, there are people who know how to crush your voice. There are people who know how to silence you even without saying anything. You know that? Quran even describes those people. Let me tell you what these ayat mean. You go and speak the truth to someone. You know, dad, it's wrong what you're saying. I love you, but it's wrong. He doesn't say anything. He just looks at you. He'll let you melt within yourself for about 10-15 seconds and let you get uncomfortable inside your own skin, questioning your existence. Like he wants you to get a glimpse of judgment day right now. And he'll just do his judgy eyes. Hmm. That's enough. You're done. You know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're going to be finished. Allah gave us a principle. But he didn't just give us a principle. He gave us the value of that principle. What, if you do this, what do you get in return? Okay. When you speak the truth, you know you get trouble, right? If you say what's right, there's always going to be trouble. What you're really feeling, if you express it, you're going to have real problems in your family. That's why a lot of times your family tells you, shh, don't say anything, okay? Don't say anything. Because if you say something, it's going to make a real problem. It's better just to be quiet. It's better not to speak up. Everybody around the world gets this advice. If you know what's good for you, shut up. Don't say anything. Don't talk about it. Don't, you know they get very upset. You know how your uncle gets. You know how your brother gets. You know how your mom gets. Don't, you know your mom has a heart condition, right? You want to kill her? Do you want to kill her? I don't want to kill her. Then shut up. You know, don't you know about sabr? You should have sabr. And we, we made a new definition of sabr in, is, that's not from Islam. 
Our new definition of sabr is shut up. Right? That's the new definition of sabr. So if something is wrong, don't say anything. Do what instead? Do sabr instead. Allah says, First you speak the truth, then you have sabr. We say, no, 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 skip the truth part. Just do the sabr part. <laughs> so, and, we, and sabr sounds like an Islamic thing to do. So here we are violating the Quran, ignoring its principle of actually speaking the truth, speaking the right, saying the right thing, and then we're calling it sabr, which is again, the whole point of sabr in the Quran is when you speak the truth, you will face difficulty. And when you face difficulty, you have to have sabr. And when you have sabr, you will speak the truth again. And things will get more difficult. And then you have to have sabr again. And then you have to speak the truth again. And things will keep getting harder and harder. And Allah is with you. But what about Surah Al-Ahzab? Allah says, the, I told you, what do you get from speaking the truth? Fine, you get a lot of problems, but what reward do you get? Allah says, yuslih lakum a'malakum. So one of the most amazing small phrases in the Quran. Allah, our, let me ask you this, are our deeds perfect? Is my salah perfect? Is my dua perfect? Is my remembrance of Allah perfect? Was my hajj or my fa is anything perfect? No. Allah says, if you do this one thing, I will take your imperfect actions and I will consider them perfect. Yuslih lakum a'malakum. One of its meaning is yuzakki a'malakum. This is the Sahaba's understanding of this ayah. And the other meaning is yataqabbal hasanatikum, which means I will accept all of your deeds and consider them good even if they weren't as good. But you have to give me something first. If you give me this one thing, I will give you this in return. What will Allah give me in return? He will take my imperfect actions and He will consider them what? Perfect. He'll purify the, He'll remove the impurities from them. So what does He want from me? He says, I want you to do this. That's the shart. Yuslih lakum a'malakum is the jawab of shart. What's the condition? The condition is, be mindful of Allah. Be mindful of Allah. And while being mindful of Allah, say things that are straightforward. Speak in a straightforward way. Speak in a way that is right. Speak in a way that is whole and is complete. The words are qulu qawlan sadida. Now let me tell you what sadida means. Sadid actually is used in different ways in the Arabic language. A sad can also be al khatam, like you know the, the lid on a bottle when you when you cover the bottle and tighten it, so even if you flip the bottle, nothing comes out, that's also called a sad. Speak in a way that you said everything you had to say and nothing is left. It's completely covered. The subject is closed. You didn't say half the thing and you left half the thing. You ended the subject. You let it all out. You don't say, I'm going to tell them a little bit right now and let's see how they react and then I'll say a little bit later and let's see how things go and then I'll say a little bit. No, 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 no. Speak the entire truth. Now, does that, is that scary, by the way, speaking the entire truth? It's terrifying. It is terrifying, especially with those we love. Speaking the entire truth is absolutely terrifying. That's why Allah started by saying, Ittaqullaha wa qulu qawlan sadida. 
become mindful and fearful of Allah, so much so that the fear of people will leave you and only then are you going to be able to say something that is straightforward. Then even when you're going to say something straightforward, Sadd in Arabic also means straightness, istiqama, straightness. That's why the, the, there's difference of opinion about this poem. There's two views. I like istadda. Like they, they talk about a po, uh, like a, the poet talks about someone. He says, I taught him how to shoot arrows every day. Like he, he, he taught somebody archery every day. Yeah. He says, When finally his shot became perfect, the first one he shot was me. <laughs> You know? And then he says, And how much did I? I taught him poetry every day to, to make the poetry lines perfect. And his first poem was roasting me. So, <laughs> so the, but in, the, in that poem, he uses the idea of the shot being perfect, which is the same word in this ayah. That's why I was referring to that poem. The point that's being made here is we can speak in ways that are not straight. We can speak in ways we're about to say something and right at the right moment, you change the subject. What do you want to say? But I wanted to tell you that you are late for work. You, last moment, the arrow changes direction. I wanted to tell you something about yesterday. What did you want to tell me about yesterday? Well, yesterday, it was raining. <laughs> this is qulu qawlan sadida means you have the courage to actually what? Let it out. You have to actually be able to say. I wrote some things down about what possible situations you and I could be in. Sometimes it's what you truly feel. You're not letting... If Ummahatul Mu'mineen didn't say anything about the honey and said, I feel like you're spending less time with me than you are with her. And that bothers me. That would be qawlan sadida. That would be qawlan sadida. What can we do about that? Sometimes qawlan sadida is, I'm afraid of speaking directly about something, so I'm hoping they get it through hints. And when they don't get it through hints, then this is the new disease in the ummah that I've seen. If you can't, you don't want to speak directly, Okay, I can't speak directly, it's too scary. I'm just gonna make dua. Then you say, Ustad, I make so much dua, Allah doesn't answer my dua. What's your dua? That my father understands what I'm going through. Have you talked to your father? Have you met my father? The only thing I can do is make dua. No, no, no. You have to speak straightforward. No, 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 I can't do that. That's why I'm making dua. So can you tell me some secret dua I can make that my dad will telepathically understand what I'm going? No, Allah said, speak straight. Allah said, be mindful of Allah and speak straight. And you know what we've done? We've turned dua into this justification for our cowardliness. I'm too scared to do the right thing, so I'm just going to make Allah do it. <laughs> I just say, Allah help me with the situation. I can't, I can't, I can't. Yes, you can. Then similarly, you have to be able to express not just because of the fear of someone, sometimes we have the fear of hurting someone. Right? Even Rasulullah is not afraid of his spouse, but he's afraid of hurting her feelings. So sometimes out of love of someone, you get away from qawlan sadida. Right? 
And you, you just want to be considerate to them so you don't want to say anything. Oh, look, they're going through so much. They're so stressed at work. They have so many things going on. I don't want to tell them what I'm going through on top of that. Let me show mercy to them and let me not say anything because I'm looking out for them. Let me just tell you something. When you become silent because you're showing somebody else rahma, who are you not showing rahma to? Yourself. And when you do enough zulm to yourself, eventually shaitan will get you. Or you will keep boiling and boiling and boiling and one day you will explode and the person will say, why didn't you tell me before? They say, I was quiet for you. And they'll say, for me? That's stupid. You should have said it. They're like, you don't appreciate how quiet I was? How would I know you were quiet? I didn't know you were quiet. I just thought you have a speaking problem. We think we're doing something for somebody else's sake. But you know what? Human beings cannot recognize that. We can't see the ghayb. You can't hide the truth because you're saving someone's feelings. Allah made them strong enough to be able... If Allah made you strong enough to speak the truth, He made them strong enough to hear the truth. You don't, you don't have to tell yourself, if I speak the truth, they will die. Life and death is in Allah's hands. Your words are not that, to that toxic or that, that powerful that you can speak and people... Like that doesn't happen. You don't have to over-exaggerate over the power of your words. And then some people are dramatic. So if you do tell them, if you do tell your sister, hey, you know what you said the other day was wrong. And she says, I'm going to die. I can't believe you did this to me. You did this to me. If, if they do that, just make dua. <laughs> get them a glass of water and say, you'll get over it. It's okay. This, you, you can finish crying, then we can keep talking. Don't get intimidated by somebody else's emotional drama. Just because you said the right thing and somebody's having a huge reaction and you're like, oh my God, I just ruined their life. No, you didn't. You just spoke the truth. And you were fearful of Allah. And the way, by the way, it's so beautiful that Allah says, اللَّهَ وَقُولُوا قَوْلًا سَدِيدًا Because if I'm going to say the right thing, there's the right way to say it too. And if I don't have taqwa of Allah first, I'm going to say it in a cruel way or I'll say it in a ruthless way. I'll say it in an angry way or a harsh way or a resentful way. But if I have taqwa of Allah and I say the right thing, even if I'm saying something difficult, I will say it respectfully because I have taqwa of Allah. So that, that first part of the ayah protects me from saying something in the wrong way. Now, there's some other ways in which this ayah applies. Sometimes I mess up. I did something wrong. And it's really hard to say sorry. It's really hard. Because for some people, if you say sorry, they say it's okay. I know, it's okay. But other people, if you say sorry to them, they, in their mind it looks like you were like this, and the moment you said sorry, you just did this. And this is the time for them to... So you're like, I cannot say sorry to this person because the moment I say sorry, they will go on the attack because they will know my guard is down. You understand? So you get so afraid of apologizing because you know once you apologize, they will destroy you. They will absolutely wreck you. You have to have the courage of not being afraid of somebody else's wrongdoing. 
You have to say what's, if you did, if I did something wrong, I've got to be strong enough to be able to say I did something wrong. Instead of being terrified of what the other will do. They can do other kinds of wrong. Because you let your guard down, you became vulnerable. You put your defenses down. But you know what? If there is an apology needed, you must give an apology. What they do after that, that's their business. That's their business. But you did it for something much more rewarding. Like Allah says, He'll make all of your imperfect deeds acceptable. Now, there's some other important, really hard qawlan sadeed. Sometimes you get uh, forced to forgive someone. You get forced to, just forgive them, just forgive them, just forgive them. Like, okay, fine, forgive them. But you don't really forgive them. You don't really forgive them. Oh, it's difficult for you to forgive them. And it's, it, you know, it could be a situation in a family where there's a family member who's really caused a lot of damage and you're supposed to keep normal relationship with them. You go see them every year. You go see them every other month and there's something deep inside you that they did, but they're laughing and joking like nothing ever happened. Right? And, you, and you're like, I don't want to ruin the Eid party and say something. So you keep it inside yourself. You know what? You've got to let people know that you have something in your heart. That's Qawlan Sadida too. You've got to let them know, hey, you, you said this and it really caused me a lot of hurt and I don't see you the same way anymore. I don't talk to you the same way anymore. I don't trust you the same way anymore. And this is why, and I'm only telling you because I want to fix this. Tell me how. But I, we can't fix it if we don't talk about it. We can't fix it if we don't address it. I can't pretend that it never happened and then it's gonna go away on its own. So many problems in our family are being addressed in one tiny little phrase. Qulu qawlan sadida. The last lesson here. This is the hardest one. You tell someone how you really feel. You really hurt me. You did this, you did this, you did this. And they say, what should we do about this? I wanna fix it, what do we do? I don't know. I just wanted to, bleh. I just want you to listen. Okay, I listen. Now what do we, I'm gonna make you listen again tomorrow. And next week, and the week after. And by the way, you still, it still hurts. Yes, I know I did that in 1983, but what do we do now? But you're not listening to me. I've been listening since 1983. But you haven't listened enough. There's a lecture I heard about Qawlan Sadida. That means I have to do this every day. It's so easy to misuse this, isn't it? So you, you, you have something to say, but you turn that into a daily dhikr. And you keep bringing it up and bringing it up and bringing it up and bringing it up. Now who's the wrongdoer? You are. Say something once, say it definitively and end it. And once you end it, stop going back. Sadid also means to put a lid, remember? Say something in its final form. Don't keep leaking it a little, then leaking it a little, then leaking it a little. Every time you get into an argument, you bring up the same old thing again, and again, and again, and again. And the person says, Ya Allah. What, what, you, you, did you forgive? Because last time I said sorry, you said I forgive you. Now you're repeating it like that last conversation never happened. And I'm saying sorry again. You need more istighfar than Allah.
With Allah, when I make istighfar for something, it's done. With you, I have to do daily istighfar for the same sin. And then you say, okay, I forgive you. Then you undo it. And then you have to do it again. Then you have to do it again. This is what Qawlan Sadida teaches me. If I do have an issue with someone, I have to talk about it in a way that that one time is the final time. It's gonna be a hard conversation, but it's gonna be the final time we have that conversation. Now we don't have to talk about that again. It's done, it's finished. And it truly represents what's going on inside of my heart. Allah made me this, this teach, teaches me this principle. And again, I remind you as I close this, what is the value of doing this? It's really hard to do, but if you do this, what does Allah give you in return? Yuslih lakum a'malakum lakum dhunubakum. He will correct all of your deeds. He will purify all of your deeds. He will consider all of your deeds good enough to be accepted. And he will forgive all of your sins, dhunubakum. Because even as you're pointing out somebody else's wrong, doesn't mean you're perfect. You need your stuff to be figured out, right? Look at the amazing language of the Quran. Allah says, whoever obeys Allah and his messenger has attained great success. That statement is in this ayah. That statement is in this ayah, which means speaking up, speaking right, speaking in definitive ways being transparent and honest and open and respectful about your communication. That is an act of obedience to Allah and His Messenger and leads to ultimate success. Allah tells us to do things, but He doesn't add at the end. And by the way, this is an act of obedience to Allah and His Messenger. And if you do this, you will have great success. He doesn't tell us, for example, do, you know, pray and then he'll mention like eight different benefits of the prayer. Or he doesn't mention to me fast and then he'll say, by the way, if you fast, this, is, this will happen. But it, that doesn't always happen. But here, Allah is mentioning one principle. And at the end of that principle, he says, this is a demonstration of those who obey Allah and his messenger. And this is done by those who attain great success. This is Allah going out of his way at the end of Surah Al-Ahzab to really, to make me realize the weight of these words, the, the, the impact of these words. And so I pray that you and I are able to really internalize these words. Two principles I tried to give you over the course of the last hour. One principle was, if something isn't haram, don't let that become haram for yourself. And the second is learn to speak up for yourself courageously with the taqwa of Allah and definitively. And don't become abusive in your language also. Right? If we can do these two things, may Allah Azza wa accept all of our deeds, all of our imperfect deeds, may Allah consider them perfect and include us among the ranks of those that have been successful. Thank you so very much for listening. Jazakumallahu khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. I am truly grateful and truly excited to be announcing that I am the director of the World Quran Convention this year. Uh, every year, this convention revolves around taking inspiration from a particular surah of the Quran. So the people involved in this convention throughout the year, they study and contemplate one particular surah and then celebrate all of the lessons learned and all of the things we can implement into the ummah as individuals, as families, and as a collective from, from inspiration taken from that surah. So this year's surah is going to be Surah Al-Insan, a surah I've studied quite a lot and I've lectured on quite extensively. And inshallah, we're gonna see some great, great events and great scholars come and participate in this convention this year. I'm really hoping you guys can join me and I wanna make this into a global event 
where people are coming from around the world and celebrating the Book of Allah together. I hope you'll see me there, World Quran Convention, this December.